Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies. Touchdown, 49ers. What's up, faithful? El Sacco, Zane Nakfi. 49ers web zone, no huddle podcast in a 2020 season that is not going how I expected it to go, Zane. It's over. It's done. Like, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Like, the, you're so far behind now. You're, so, you're not going to win the division uh, unless something catastrophic happens. Uh, you are a total mess right now, both sides of the ball, and you have the toughest stretch of schedule coming up for you. I just thoughts and prayers for the 49ers. That's it. That's all I can say. Man, there's so much. Zane and I are fired up. I know the fan base is fired up. We just we feel like we've all been blindsided here. It's been crazy. We have so much to talk about. Before we do, we actually have a great guest today. We have Matt Barrows on the show, and we're going to ask him some of the, the burning questions we have about the 49ers, about the quarterback play, about the offensive line, about what they were doing with, with Brian Allen at, at corner in this game and, and against the Dolphins and just what happened. And we're also going to talk to Matt about his brand new book, if these walls could talk stories from the San Francisco 49ers sideline, locker room, and press box. So before Zane and I start going off, here is Matt. Our guest today needs no introduction to 49ers fans. He's from The Athletic, and he is the author of the new book, If These Walls Could Talk, stories from the San Francisco 49ers sidelines, locker room, and press box. He is the one and only Matt Barrows. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Doing well, and I'm I'm excited to talk to you about this book. <laughs> Less excited to talk to you about the team right now. Um, right. But the the book, I, I can't wait to get my hands on it. And I'm I'm always interested to hear about the process for this sort of thing. What gave you the idea for the book? How did this all come together? Well, it, it's part of a, a series of books that Triumph Publishing, the, the publisher, does for every sports team. So you know, there's one for the Chicago Blackhawks. There's one for the uh, the Dallas Cowboys and and they didn't have one for the San Francisco 49ers and they'd come to me a couple of times and I, I re- really didn't want to do it I, I thought it was a little formulaic um, and but they just couldn't find anybody for it so uh, over time we sort of negotiated it to the point where I said listen I'll do it but I want to write it the way I want to write it um, and basically it's uh, a collection of stories about uh, the time that uh, I've been covering the team. So I, I got on this beat in 2003. I actually covered, the first game I covered was that uh, playoff game between the Giants and the 49ers at Candlestick uh, at the end of 2002, mm-hmm. uh, which I call the Trey Junkin game. But mm-hmm. it could also be called the Terrell Owens game because he had, uh, he had such a huge second half there. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's been topsy-turvy. I mean, it's been a roller coaster. I can't think of another team that's had uh, ups like the 49ers have had and then the downs that they've had. Um, uh, they've, they've been to the Super Bowl twice in that span. And they've also had two, two win teams in that span. So, uh, like I said, a lot of uh, peaks and valleys. And uh, I don't know what we're in right now, but it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't feel like we're at the peak anymore. But uh, it's just sort of been par for the course for this team in the 21st century. And even the ups have ended with punches in the gut when you think of the Super Bowl losses and the NFC yeah. Championship losses. It hasn't been an easy couple of decades for Niners fans. What are some of your favorite parts of the book or, or maybe just some of the stories you enjoyed rehashing when you were writing them? Well, the one that we ran in The Athletic uh, as an excerpt, 
might be my favorite one, and it was uh, it, it occurred right after Justin Smith was signed. Uh, and you'll probably remember that they took him on a helicopter ride, and they re- they really rolled out the red carpet in order to get him to sign with the 49ers. He was like the marquee free agent. So he comes in here, and he realizes that the team isn't real connected. Uh, the, the guys don't really hang out together, this, that, and the other. And Justin Smith takes it upon himself to be the guy that, that accomplishes that. He wants to be the glue in the social fabric of this team. So. There's a party happening at Joe Staley's house in Campbell, uh, and Joe Staley isn't even there. <laughs> he goes, he goes back to Michigan for his sister's graduation. He, he's got a, a, a young offensive lineman staying with him, and the offensive lineman asked if he could have a couple of guys over. And Staley says, "Sure, just don't break anything." Well, a couple of guys turns into basically a raging party that rages to the point where Justin Smith is throwing Joe Staley's patio furniture in the fire pit and creating a huge bonfire with all of his his teak expensive patio furniture. And Joe, Joe Staley has just been in the league for, you know, just one year. So um, Joe Staley's in Michigan. He goes to bed, uh, you know, Michigan time. And he starts getting all these texts and he looks at his phone and it's full of pictures of his own home with all of his patio furniture a blaze in the backyard. <laughs> so, so he gets uh, he gets home like a couple of days later, and he goes back out there. And this stuff like uh, it's got lacquer on it, and so it, it flames up real good at first, but doesn't burn all the way through. So Justin he gets home, and, he, and it's basically a stack of the skeleton charred skeletons of all of his furniture, <laughs> ten feet high. <laughs> and Justin Smith and his crew have just left it there, but. Uh, the, the moral of the story is that they started to come together as a team at that point. And Justin Smith was very much the, the locker room guy Yeah, uh, for, for years and years. I mean, the weight room guy, he ran that locker room. And um, it, it's fitting that, you know, once Justin Smith left, it was Joe Staley who kind of took over that role. Uh, Maybe they now, miss him now. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah. It, now he's gone. And so... Uh, that, that's what I think. I mean, it's hard for us to tell these days because we don't get to go to the locker room. Uh, but uh, I just wonder whether there's a bit of a leadership gap right now. I don't think it would. it's going to last for long. I think that there are um, lots of guys that can step into that. And I actually sense that George Kittle is doing exactly that. But, um, you know, that that's just sort of the, the legacy there. It went, from just, it went from no one to Justin Smith to Joe Staley. So it's, um, there's some big shoes to fill there. And I don't want to ask you a generic question, like who, who is your favorite coach to cover? So why don't I ask it this way? Which coach gave you the most ammo for this book? Cause you had some interesting oh. ones, Sing- Singletary, Harbaugh. I got a feeling I know what you're going to say, but. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't even think it's close. Uh, it's, it's Harbaugh, uh, because you know, covering Harbaugh is like covering 10 different coaches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are different personalities that showed up and, uh, yeah, so I've got a, a good chapter on the handshake that he had with Jim Schwartz. Uh, Harbaugh saved the life of one of his uh, players. I, I don't want to spoil the details, but it happened right in front of everybody. And then Harbaugh saves this guy's life and then goes on like nothing happened. <laughs> like continues, wow. continues his day. Uh, so there's, there's a ton of Harbaugh stuff. You know, it, I'll tell you what, the, the guy who was one of the most helpful guys was Greg Roman. 
uh, because Greg Roman has a brain where you can say, hey, Greg, remember that, uh, that game against Cincinnati in 2011? And he'll be able to dial up in his mind uh, specific plays from, from the game. And I went back and I checked him on a lot of stuff, and he had it all correct, like the down and distance, the time remaining on the clock, wow. uh, how, how the play ran. So I talked to him, and you know, I basically went through the end of the Super Bowl. I mean, all those controversial play calls down there at the goal line against the Ravens, and, and he went through it play by play, exactly what the scenario was, exactly what he was thinking. I, I found that to be, I mean, some of these are, are good stories, good yarns, but that, that to me was pretty interesting. Uh, exactly what he was thinking uh, on on a lot of those plays. Wow, that's great stuff, Maddie. I'm super excited to pick that pick that book up. I can't wait to see and and, and read all these excerpts that you have there. And when we talk about the mid 2000s, the team struggled back then, and and they were getting blown out a lot. And we saw a mid 2000s type of game on Sunday against Miami. And I mean, we just let's just get right to it. Is this something that was an anomaly or something that we can expect going forward against some of the teams in the so-called gauntlet in the next four weeks? Yeah, I mean, if that happens to you against the Dolphins, I don't, I don't know how you can um, expect that uh, it's going to get better. Now, they will get some guys back. I mean, having Richard Sherman back, having Emmanuel Mosley back, those types of guys, uh, I don't think the Dolphins would have jumped out to that lead. And that lead sort of led to the 49ers having to abandon their their running attack too, which was you know the game plan going in was to really uh, get that solidified, not have to put a lot of pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo and his you know still healing ankle, and the fact that Brian Allen was there just kind of you know threw all that into a Joe Staley fire pit right from right from the get go. I mean uh, the 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 whole plan of attack. Uh, fell apart uh, right at the start. So, you know, just getting one of those guys back, or, or even a, a healthy uh, Akella Witherspoon from start to finish, uh, I think makes a difference. Now, the the problem is that they're just not going to be as good a defense as they were last year. So, uh, this offense has to come together, and that was sort of, to me, the sort of the, the stark reality of this game was that even if Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and Kittle and Garoppolo and Mostert are on the field at the same time. It, it, you just can't snap your fingers and have them uh, clicking and firing on all cylinders. It takes time for offenses to gel, and the 49ers just didn't have a lot of that because of all the injuries and because of the the, the lost off season. So uh, the question is, how long does it take to to do that? And I don't know what the answer is, but clearly uh, it's going to take some time. Um, uh, and they'll, they'll try to get it going against the Rams, expect them to come out, you know, running the ball and, uh, doing what they do best. But, uh, to get all those weapon, all those weapons, uh, firing together. I don't know, four weeks a month. I don't, I don't know what the answer to that is. And that's, that, that might be the sort of the starkest reality coming out of that game. Yeah, I really think it's going to take a heck of a coaching job, uh, Matt, for for these guys to kind of get back on track. And Kyle and, and Robert Sala have been taking a lot of heat uh, the last couple of days because of what happened. And justifiably so, or not justifiably so, I mean, you look at the the t- personnel decisions that they made with uh, starting Allen and not starting Witherspoon. 
not starting Tarius Moore, putting Jimmy Ward out there at corner and more at safety. Um, Kyle on a fourth and one play with McKinnon where he was stuffed. Uh, how much of this falls on coaching? Yeah, I mean, you, you have to you have to cite that. I mean, they, they did not put Brian Allen in a position to succeed. I don't know how Brian Allen uh, jumped over Ken Webster. You know, Ken Webster is on the 53-man roster. Brian, Brian Allen's on the practice squad, but Brian Allen starts this game. So, I mean, there, there was a lot of things that, that happened, a lot of dominoes that fell. They, they entered the week thinking that Akello Witherspoon was going to be well enough to start the game. Um, after the Wednesday practice, he said he wasn't, he's still feeling tight. So they had to sort of change course at that point. Now, the question is, at, after the Wednesday practice, is that the point where you should have said, okay, let's, let's get Tarverius Moore ready to play cornerback for this game? Uh, they didn't. And, and Moore and uh, Jimmy Ward didn't take any cornerback snaps. So, uh, obviously, in hindsight, they, they should have. Uh, but, I mean, there's still a, a sort of a, I mean, they, they took this guy, Ken Webster, off of, it was the Dolphins. Yeah, it was the Dolphins practice squad. Uh, and, you know, um, have him on the active roster. So, so if you did that, then it, it just can't be a developmental spot. I mean, he, he's got to be able to play. So how did this, how did uh, Brian Allen uh, jump over him for this role? Why was Akella Witherspoon uh, okay to play two and a half quarters of, of football, but, you know, couldn't start the game? So th- there were some circumstances there that may have been out of their control, but um, you know, the, the bottom line is that they, they've just been racked by injuries and that cornerback has been the position hit the hardest. Um, and they're just down to the very bottom. I hate to say dregs, but that's what they were, that they were, um, you know, uh, having to have a, uh, a practice squad or start the game. Matt, one question I, I'm just, I'm really interested to hear your take on this because you're as tied in as anybody with the Niners. I thought when Jimmy went down, it looked like a three to four week injury, you know, the high ankle sprain. And I thought they were going to ride with Nick Mullins and Mullins had played well up until the Philly game. And he played well against the Giants in the Philly game. He was awful. He did not play well and he probably lost that game for them, but it was one bad game. And then all of a sudden they kind of just pulled the rug out from under him. You said, he, you know, demoted him to third string and all this other thing. Were you surprised how quickly Kyle went away from Mullins with how well that he had played to have the one bad game to go away from him that quickly? Did, did that surprise you? Because I didn't think Jimmy didn't look ready to me in this game. No, it didn't surprise me because um, I know that Shanahan really likes CJ Beathard. Um, Why, man. Matt? Why? <laughs> Tell us for, well, for the fans, I, what, what does he see? Nick Mullins, who runs this offense, Pretty, he runs the offense well. Mullins can run the offense. What what does Shanahan see in Bathard? Please, please make me feel better about this. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I can. I mean, what, what he sees is a is a better arm, um, and he sees uh, Kirk Cousins. And I know that that's not reassuring <laughs> this year either. But that's that's the guy that he's compared him to uh, from the get go from from 2017 when they used a third round pick on him. Um, you know, a tough pocket. Uh, quarterback who will stand in there and, and take the hit. And um, E.J. Bethard's got a, a nice arm. I mean, he, he's got a quick release. He's got probably the best arm in terms of arm strength of the, of the three quarterbacks. I'd say that Garoppolo is a little bit more creative with his arm, um, has the quicker release, and, you know, arm talent is a lot of things. But the, the bigger arm belongs to 
C.J. Beathard, and and that uh, that intrigued Shanahan still does. Um, now the issue with Beathard and, and where Mullins excels is is processing, um, kind of going through, you know, figuring out what's happening, seeing the the pass rush coming, um, going through the progressions, and, and getting rid of the ball. And um, you know, if, if you could combine those two guys, you would have the ultimate. Uh, uh, Kyle Shanahan quarterback, but they both have shortcomings, and, and Mullen's shortcomings were so stark in that Eagles game that I think Shanahan said, "Okay, this is what I've always expected with uh, Nick Mullins. You know, he's good at throwing the ball in the middle of the field, short, intermediate, but he's not going to stretch the ball, throw the ball deep. He's not going to throw to the sidelines. He, he really limits my offense. I've always kind of suspected that C.J. Beathard." can do the things I want to do. Let's get him in there. So, uh, but you're right. It was a, a quick hook for Mullins. And now he's sort of, I'm talking about Shanahan, is sort of uh, painted himself into a corner. I, I think it would be, I don't think he's going to go back to Mullins right away. I, I think it would take a while for him to do that. Because uh, it would just look like, you know, they don't know what they're doing at this point. So um, if, uh, if Garoppolo doesn't start against the Rams, my guess that it's a C.J. Beathard start. And I know the offensive line performed really poorly as well, but I, but I do want to keep it right there on the quarterbacks for a second for a follow-up. And I, I'm kind of wondering how much freelancing Kyle has prevented these guys from doing. Because if you remember Jimmy when he came here in 2017, uh, there was a lot of off-schedule plays that he was able to make and a lot of things that he was able to make out of nothing. And it seems maybe because of the knee or maybe because of the way that Kyle Shanahan wants his offense run, none of the quarterbacks really make those off-schedule plays that you're seeing the opponents make, like Ryan Fitzpatrick or Carson Wentz, where they're having to leave the pocket and find somebody open. Is that kind of a product of Kyle's system, or is that more just these guys are trying to develop and they're, and they're kind of hindered here? Yeah, I, I think it, it starts with it's the system that, that Shanahan wants. I mean, look at the guys that he goes after. Uh, you know, the Kirk Cousins, the C.J. Beathards, uh, they're, they're not like Tom Brady in, in terms of lack of mobility, but th- these guys are not rushing for a lot of yards. I mean, he wants them in the pocket. He wants them to be extensions of, of him, sort of the, the, the brain center um, where, where this whole offense is uh, you know, originating. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a great point because obviously the uh, improvisational skills that Jimmy Garoppolo was showing in, at the end of 2017, were impressive. I mean, he's got that quick release. He's got creativity. Um, he's got different release points that he can kind of throw around pass rushers and things like that. Things that can help minimize uh, a stout pass rush or mm-hmm. and or a porous pass protection. So, um, yeah, I mean, all of this is uh, very pertinent. I don't know if there's any real stark answers, but uh, I, I think this is all kind of coming to into play right now and, and might even come into play more so at the end of the season. I mean, if, if Shanahan concludes that neither Beathard nor Mullins is really going to be the guy, uh, and both guys are uh, free agents, like they're scheduled to be, uh, I, I wonder whether he's going to go looking for another quarterback in the draft. And, and if so, is he still sort of bound by that profile that we just described, the guy who's not running around? Because if anything, I mean, I'm watching this this Titans Bills game right now. The, the, you know, having a, a quarterback that that can move out of the pocket and throw and and create with his feet is is all the rage right now. And it's 
kind of proven with uh, with a couple of Super Bowl titles. Now, Matt, before we finish up, I, I do have to ask you about the offensive line because it's 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 been really bad so far. Do you think that's just not having preseason guys are, like Brunskill and, and Williams are getting acclimated, or, or is there more there? Yeah, I mean, for Brunskill, he, he's in a really tough spot because uh, he played tackle all of his career and, and most of last season, and then this season, the idea is that he's going to go play right guard. So they start training camp, and he's at right guard, and then. You know, uh, I, I, it wasn't the first practice; it was the the second. Ben Garland goes down with a an ankle injury, and all of a sudden, Brunskill has to play center for virtually the entire training camp. So he didn't really get any meaningful snaps at right guard, uh, but he starts the season there. Uh, so, you know, if, if there's any um, you know silver lining or positives, it's that he seemed to have a, a fairly good game, probably his best game of of the five on Sunday. So. He may be, you know, he may have gotten his quote unquote preseason in with those first four, and now he's starting to play better. Question is why the other guys aren't playing as well. I mean, these are three really talented guys, and McGlinchey, Tomlinson, and and uh, obviously Trent Williams. But um, you know, they they've had as many mistakes as as Brunskill has. Um, so you know that that's that's where this if it's going to be a resurgence from from this team. That's where it's got to originate, and, and it's the most likely place to originate. I mean, they've got the talent, they've got experience. Most of these guys, you know, played, uh, you know, at least from December on together through the playoffs. Uh, so there, there should be an element of continuity as well. Uh, that's got to be the spot where uh, they start to gel, and you know, maybe that running attack springs to life, and everything else kind of uh, blossoms from that. All right, Matt, thanks so much for the time and congratulations to you on the book. We can't wait to get our hands on it. All right. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks, Matty. Thanks again to Matt for the time. Again, if if that story about Justin Smith is just the tip of the iceberg, I cannot, cannot wait to read that book. It's it's going to be so great. I'm really looking forward to that one. All right, Zane, y- you sound like you're ready to jump off a cliff here, so I'm, I'm just going to throw it to you. Wherever you want to start, <laughs> whatever you want to talk about first, just start us off, buddy. What was that on Sunday? When I was watching this game and they got down early, I was like, okay, no problem. Jimmy will come back and they'll ease back into this game. They get down 14 points. I'm like, okay, this is, this is getting kind of scary. And they, get, they come back and they score a touchdown. I'm like, all right, cool. Like, you know, they're back in the game. Um, they still can't stop them. Um, they keep picking on the same practice squad cornerback. You, up, you, you, uh, you elevate it to the roster on Saturday and start it on Sunday. And it got to the point where this was like 2016 level bad and Mike Nolan years level bad to a Miami team that came in with one win that came in with one of the worst pass defenses in the league. I believe, I think they were number 32 in the league came in with almost all of their pass rushers injured. And this was the first time that the 49ers had Debo, Ayuk, Kittle, Mostert, and Jimmy on the field at the same time. And this is supposed to be their kind of coming out party together. And it was nothing but the opposite. There's so much to think about and unpack with the way that game went, Al. But I think that where you start is, where is this team headed now? Where do you head after that loss? You not only lost the game, but you were embarrassed by a team that you really should have beaten. A team that on paper 
the Niners were favored by what was it five and a half points to win that game. You gave up the most points in the history of Levi's Stadium to the Miami Dolphins. Like it wasn't it wasn't the Green Bay Packers or the Seahawks or the Cardinals or another uh, the Saints, another offensive highly powered offensive team. It was the Miami Dolphins that did it to you. And it was an utter embarrassment. And yeah, people are going to get on me for being negative for this particular podcast. And, and that's fine if you want to get on me. But if a job's not well done, I'm not going to say that it's well done. They're going to get criticism from all of us in the media, just like we praise them when they do well. That's how it works. And when I'm looking at Twitter and I'm looking at people kind of infighting and, and 49ers Twitter has been a, a total mess lately and people don't want to hear the criticism. Look, your team is two and three at this point. The 2020 season is essentially over. If you lose this week, I, I thought it was over when you lost to Miami because that was the easiest. That was quote unquote, the soft spot in your schedule mm-hmm. of schedule soft spot that you should have been at least four and one in that you ended up going two and three in. And what's the problem here? I mean, the problems that, the 49ers have right now are deeper than, than lack of talent. They go all the way from coaching to scheme to game management to yes, health is a big deal too, but there are other teams in the league that are dealing with health. George Kittle came out this week during a press conference and said that there are other teams dealing with health issues. Injuries aren't an excuse. And I, and I believe that you have to be able to win the tough games in order to win in the playoffs, in order to win championship. All the stuff that they did last year, winning in a monsoon in Washington, winning against Seattle in Seattle, coming back against the Rams and beating them at the end of that game where they converted two third and 16s, all of that stuff, that is the antithesis of what they're doing now. And before we get into individual performances and, and what went wrong, Al, Kyle Shanahan has to look himself in the mirror. And I'm not putting the blame solely on him because it's not, it's not on him, but it starts with him. The fact that he couldn't get his players up for basically the most important game of the season against an inferior opponent in your own house speaks huge volumes to where this team is right now. Like they, he had the attitude last year after they lost the Super Bowl, and I think you remember this. He said that, "Oh, nobody died. We didn't really blow anything." Amongst other quotes, that casual, nonchalant sort of attitude about losing the biggest game of your life. Again, in the same fashion you lost the first time by blowing a lead in the fourth quarter, permeated its way through the team and into the season, and they thought they could roll their helmets out there and defeat anybody and make it back to the Super Bowl with minimal effort. I'm sorry, but that's what they're playing like. That's what they look like, and they have to really look at themselves in the mirror right now and pull themselves out of it, Al. Well, I think for me, more than anything, I was disappointed. This was a must-win game because they have a gauntlet coming up schedule-wise. And it didn't seem like the coaching staff had a solid game plan. It didn't seem like the team was ready to play. So even with the injuries on defense and and the defense will get somewhat of a pass for me for a while because they are so, I mean, they had guys off the street at cornerback, but we'll get into how the coaching staff did did that wrong. But it is, listen, it, it was an embarrassment. And you even had guys like Matt Mayoko, who I've never heard Matt fired up. In the times I've heard him on TV, on the radio, when I've talked to him personally, he's the most even-keeled guy in the world. He was fired up. And he said, you know, the Niners looked like a horrendous football team. And he said, why was Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo out there? And, and, and why did Brian Allen get promoted? And, and don't blame Brian Allen. Blame the guys who put him out there. He, he was completely right. 
Listen, the 49ers are the 16th team since 1979 to be favored by a touchdown or more at home and lose by 26 plus points. <laughs> this was a monumental loss. Monumental. Last season, they were 8-2 and two at home and they averaged 32 points a game. This season, they're 0-3 at home. They're averaging 19 points a game. And they scored 20 points or more in just... 20 points or less, I'm sorry, in just four of 19 games in 2019. They've already been held to 20 or less three times this season. This isn't the beat-up defense. A lot of this is, is, is on the offense. And you say, okay, well, what's going on with the offense here? I'm going to say this first and foremost. If they even had average quarterback play in week one and week four, they're 4-0 headed into this game. Even average. Garoppolo stunk in week one and Mullins stunk in week four. Stunk. Now, is the offensive line good? No. <laughs> Through five games, the 49ers have given up 55 QB pressures, the most in the NFL. And Mullins, and I alluded to it in an interview with Matt, I think they pulled the plug on him too early. I know he's limited. I know that he had a terrible game against the Eagles. But I think given the fact that Garoppolo was hurt, uh, there's no way he could play like that if he wasn't hurt. If he did, they have bigger problems. And C.J. Beathard is C.J. Beathard. Mullins gives you your best chance to win. And listen, Mullins alone has been pressured on 38.3% of his dropbacks, which is the highest in the NFL by almost 8%. 8%. He's also been sacked eight times and 17 times, which is the second most, on just 81 total dropbacks. Now, a comparison, Garoppolo has been sacked seven times and hit eight and has a, a pressure percentage of, of 24.3, which is still high, but, but not nearly as high as, as what we've seen from Mullins. And look, if you look at the stats in terms of the quarterbacks who have played, okay, on target throw percentage, Mullins is 79.2. That's the third best in the NFL, regardless of where he throws. I know we had some bad interceptions, but again, that was really one game. Garoppolo, 56.1%, which is 31st, and he was fourth in the NFL in that last year. And Beathard is 41.2%. I don't know where he is there because the list didn't go that low. And then we talked about the, pre- the pressure percentage, and, and Beathard's only been pressured on 15% of his dropbacks. So the QB play hasn't been good. I didn't think Jimmy was ready. And Zane, have you ever seen Garoppolo play that way? I mean, that was, that was awful. No, he wasn't right? ready. He wasn't ready. They shouldn't have put him out there. And you alluded to Matt Mayoko. I had the same sentiment that Mayoko did about putting Jimmy Garoppolo out there. Look, if he's not ready to play, you're risking the rest of this guy's season. And part of next season, if he, if he suffers like a significant injury at this point, this is your plan going forward. You don't have a plan after Jimmy Garoppolo. People, I think it's funny how people, as an aside to how he played, people are talking about getting rid of Jimmy. Oh, let's trade him. Let's release him, whatever. What's the plan then? You're going to rely on Kyle Shanahan to develop a quarterback that comes in here, like a Trevor Lawrence or the kid from North Dakota State. You're going to, you're going to rely on Kyle Shanahan, who's never developed a quarterback in his entire life in, in the NFL, to develop a rookie quarterback that you draft in the first round and put it behind this offensive line and think that that's going to be a good idea. People talk about like Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan was already a good quarterback by the time Kyle Shanahan had him. He was 31 years old by that point. He, he had already been developed. All Kyle Shanahan did was he took, he took an already developed product and took it to the next level. And that's credit to Kyle Shanahan for doing that. It's fantastic. But the other quarterbacks he's had, RG3 had one good year. Hoyer had one good year. Jimmy so far, he's had one good year. Ryan had that one good year under Shanahan and he had, he had him for two years and the second year was, was the best year. You really have to look at this and be like, Jimmy is your guy. I hate to say it, the people didn't like him, but he's your guy going forward until you figure out a better plan. If you put Aaron Rodgers behind this line, maybe he does marginally better, but a quarterback will not be able to do anything without, without time. 
Look what Rodgers did last year against the Pierce pass rush when he didn't have time. Did he do anything in two meetings against the 49ers when he didn't have time? No. You have to be able to buy your quarterback time. Did Jimmy play, play poorly? Absolutely. Was he off target? Absolutely. Did he have two really bad interceptions? Absolutely. The flip side of that, did he get any help from his offensive line? No. Did he get any help from his head coach? No, he didn't. End of the half. Out. This is what I mean. This is what, what really irks me about Kyle Shanahan and his game management. End of the half. There's, what, 30 seconds left. You're inside, deep in your own territory, about your 25-yard line. Just kneel on the ball, go into half, regroup in the half, and come back out. No, Kyle Shanahan wants to throw. For some inexplicable reason, we're going to throw for it. We're going to try to get something. What, do you, what exactly are you trying to accomplish here? You're making your already injured team play more snaps. You're making your already injured quarterback play more snaps. And what happens? He throws two interceptions in two minutes. And now all of a sudden we're talking about a confidence issue with Jimmy. We're talking about ineffectiveness. We're talking about all this stuff. If he really, really wanted to protect Jimmy, quote unquote, like he said, at the half, number one, he shouldn't have started him. And number two, you're not running a two-minute drill at the end of the half with him. So they have to decide, they have to take a long look at Jimmy and decide what they want, what they want from him. And do they want him to develop and get rid of some of these habits that he's been in and develop like a quarterback should develop and take his lumps? Or is Kyle going to get impatient with him like he got with the backup quarterback situation and pull him if he's going to struggle? Because look, when quarterbacks are developing, yeah, they're going to struggle. And to me, if you don't have any other plan at quarterback, the number one focus for you at quarterback this year should be to develop Jimmy Garoppolo because you need to know this year is basically a write-off, right, with all the injuries. We know that. But you need to know going forward, can we run a team behind Jimmy Garoppolo? Can he run an offense? Is he serviceable enough to win a championship with? Last year was last year. I don't want to live in last year anymore. I want to talk about that. So really it comes down to Jimmy being healthy, him having time with an offensive line, and him having chemistry with his receivers. I think it's so hard to evaluate him at this point, Al. Like, you can. How can you? Well, I think, you know, I think maybe we should stay on the quarterback position for a little while right now because here's the reality of the situation. Garoppolo, who you and I both believe, you know, because it was going to be the guy and was going to have a good year, he's been, injury or not, offensive line or not, he's been non-functional twice this year, mm-hmm. right? He's played two, well, I guess two halves in a full game. And against Arizona, he was he was not good. And against Miami, I, it's the worst I've ever seen him play. It's atrocious. So if it was his ankle, I think it probably had a lot to do with it. But his reads were terrible. He just looked, he looked terrible. If he doesn't have a, a you know, he's got to get healthy. But if he doesn't have a huge second half, look, you think the whispers have been bad about Kirk Cousins and Tom Brady. It's, it's, they're going to be shouts. And Daniel, I saw Daniel Jeremiah already said something about Matt Ryan, and I knew it. I tweeted that the minute Quinn got fired, I said, start listening for the Matt Ryan to San Francisco stuff. It's going to happen. It's already starting. If Jimmy does not play super well, you're going to be talking about guys like Matt Ryan. You're going to be talking about guys in the draft. You know somebody who I wonder is going to be available because I think there's going to be a coaching change there because I think their head coach is a, is a disaster is, is Detroit. If they bring in another new regime, does another new regime stay with Matthew Stafford or is Matthew Stafford available? So that's another name that I wonder. And if these guys are out there, you know, who knows what's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers, although the way Rodgers is playing, if Green Bay moved on from him, they'd be insane. And they'd be insane anyway to move on from Aaron Rodgers, but that's beside the point. If those guys are available and Jimmy's still doing what Jimmy has done this year, listen, get ready for it, fans. There's going to be a lot of QB talk, whether you like it or not, whether you love Jimmy or don't, that's what's going to happen. And what's 
if Jimmy is not there, what we're going to have to see is, is Kyle, does Kyle Shanahan want to start with a young quarterback or do the 49ers feel they have a team that's going to win now and they want to bring in a Matt Ryan who's 36 or maybe if a Matthew Stafford's available or whoever else, maybe he still tries to get Kirk Cousins somehow. I don't know because he's obsessed with him. But look, if, if you don't like the quarterback stuff before, get ready for it, Zane, because it's coming back and it's going to be here all year until Jimmy starts the ball out. Yeah, I, I, and I realize that and it's going to get exhausting because look, it takes time for good quarterbacks to develop. And Jimmy hasn't had that time because of injuries, because of the Super Bowl run last year. It's like, you don't have time to develop a quarterback in the Super Bowl run. That's not going to happen. Your folks not winning games. So I always thought that they made it a year too early. I would have liked for them to make it this year because then Jimmy had that year to develop. But at the end of the day, there are certain things, and I asked Matt about this as well. There's certain things that the 49ers quarterbacks are not doing that they were doing before. In 2017, when Jimmy got here, he was ad-libbing a lot more, escaping the pocket a lot more. He was throwing, uh, basically, he, 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 there were a lot of off-schedule plays. He wasn't necessarily reading the field. He was, he was going to the guy that was open. So a lot of that, I think, changed after that year because Kyle wants his offense run a certain way. And correct me if I'm wrong, there was something about Jimmy mentioning that he needed to stop, stop being so much of a gunslinger that Kyle wanted to be, him to be more controlled and run the system a little bit better and uh, how Kyle appreciated that Jimmy was winning, but wanted him to basically run the system at that point in 2018. And all we've seen from that point is a different Jimmy Garoppolo than those first five games, a different Jimmy Garoppolo than we saw in new England, a guy that is, is basically a statue in the pocket. He doesn't leave the pocket at all. There's no bootlegs. There's no, the, the play actions are super slow developing and the routes are super slow to develop, and it's just not conducive to very uh, good development of a quarterback. Kyler Murray, the way that he beat him, you know, we know that, right? The way they beat the 49ers, he just got rid of the ball very quickly. He didn't let that pass rush affect him. They didn't worry about running play action, all this stuff. They focused on being able to complete passes, and right now, your quarterbacks are struggling, but you're asking them to turn their back on the defense, which they're already having trouble reading, and asking the offensive line to block for, for enough time to make that fake uh, be able to have enough time to happen and, and receiver enough time to get open down the field when your offensive line is trash. So at some point, you're going to have to change your scheme. You're going to have to switch things up. You're going to have to get out of your current mindset. And... Let me give you an example, Al. I know I'm ranting here a little bit, but Josh McDaniels, I know he had Tom Brady, right? So that, that's the talent level we're not talking about, but the coaching level here. Josh McDaniels won three Super Bowls with three different game plans. Against Seattle, it was Dink and Dunk, because that was a Legion of Boom, right? Sherman, Earl Thomas, all those guys, that was a historic defense they beat. It was Dink and Dunk. We're not going to test the corners. We're going to win with our running backs on linebackers. Brady Dink and Dunk his way to a record, level of, record number of completions and yards uh, in that Super Bowl. 2016 against Atlanta, it was more so like a fire drill. They were being more aggressive in the second half, and they were able to kind of catch up and, and win that game, stay close enough where they can win that game. The last Super Bowl that they won in New England together uh, was against the Rams, and that was a total defensive battle where he was like, look, I know that they're, uh, they're going to hold you down, and, and this is a better defense than we're used to playing, but you just need to score enough points and let our defense win. So they were basically in babysitting mode at that, that Super Bowl. Like I question, like can Kyle Shanahan do that same thing? 
Like if he was put in that same situation, it seems like he, he rolls out the same game plan for every game and expects that it's just going to work. And that's just not the case in the NFL. You have, you have to change things up. Before we hit on the defense, you mentioned the offensive line. And I find it amazing that the Niners had a better offensive line with Justin Skule and Daniel Brunskill at tackle than they do right now <laughs> with Trent Williams and Mike Lindsay at tackle. That's what we're seeing. So like I said with Matt, I don't know if it's a situation where these guys just need some time to gel. I don't know if, if Trent Williams is having trouble with playbook. I, I don't know what it is, but there's no way they can be this bad. An offensive line play has been bad across the league, but there's no way they can be this bad. And you mentioned Zane with the quarterbacks, the game, the offensive line for next year. I, I do think we kind of have to see how things progress, but instead of kind of to rehash what they already said, I, what we already said, I guess I'll ask you this question. Are you worried about McGlinchey at this point? Because yes. pass protection wise, Look, the guy's, he, he's excellent in the run game. He's a terrific run blocker. But this is a guy who took, what, ninth overall, I think it was, in pass protection-wise. He's been a disappointment, hasn't he? Yep, absolutely. He's, he was not that great last year either. He didn't have a great Super Bowl. Um, he was okay during the season in pass protection. Um, like you said, when School and Brunskill were playing, they were, I felt like they were actually a little bit better uh, at, at a certain point than, than Staley, half of Staley. You know, he was injured now. We've come to know that, that he was playing hurt most of last year, but I'm legitimately worried about Michael McGlinchey because it's to the point now where he's just not even serviceable at, at right tackle. There are guys, especially during that Eagles game, I mean, he just got totally, totally dominated and it wasn't, it was embarrassing. And if you're a first round pick and your, your status in the draft shouldn't di- dictate like how good of a player you are. I, I'm, I'm not a huge believer in that, but the fact of the matter is, yeah, you're right. He was a first-round pick, ninth overall, and he only really played to that status in his first year. Um, I feel like he did lose a, a little bit of weight. We know this during the offseason. For some reason, he lost some weight, and I think that's working against him. Maybe he wanted to be a little bit quicker, but this offseason, hopefully, he can bulk up a little bit, and he's in a, he's in a contract year after next year, right, now. I believe so. I'd have to check it out, but I think so. Yeah, so I think he's, his rookie deal, he's the option – after next, so next year is basically the option year, I think. If I'm not mistaken, he had a four year deal. So I'm legitimately worried about him. Um, if they can't get the running game going, I, I don't know what they're going to do because I don't think they're good enough to pass block. I will say this um, before we move on because I have a theory sort of about the defense and about the team as a whole. But lost in the Niners' rough start is that Raheem Mostert leads the NFL in running backs with seven yards per carry. He mm-hmm. just keeps on keeping on. And <laughs> Mostert, I looked this up today, for his career, he's got a 6.2 yards per carry average. That's the highest for any Niners player in history with at least 100 carries. So, you know, there's guys who have, I think Jerry Rice is higher than that, but, you know, he's got like 80-something carries. And there's some guys who have, you know, 30 carries or 20 carries who may have a higher. But for somebody with 100 carries, somebody who carries the ball a lot, he's got the highest yards per carry. He's been just a tremendous story, and he's still a bright spot. And I got a shout-out to Mostert here. Moving on, though, I... tweeted this and some people agreed with me and some people were like, where are you coming from? This is just kind of how I feel. And we talked about it earlier with Matt where he said, you know, they don't have that Staley leadership anymore, right? Kittle might be moving into that guy. Here's another theory I have is that Nick Bosa changed everything about the 49ers. He had a ripple effect on the entire team coming in, whether it was a swagger, whether it's just he made everybody around him better on defense and the team picked up on it. Whatever it was, I just felt like he had this ripple effect on the team. All of a sudden, he came there, and it's like, and I know there were other guys. I know Buckner's gone. I know Ford's gone. I know Sherman's out there. I know all that stuff. 
But I just look at Nick Bosa, and if you watch him every play on the tape, he's a problem every play. Whether he's getting to the quarterback or just pushing the pocket or whatever he's doing or he's making an athletic play in the run, he is a problem. And I don't think it's a coincidence. I know it's not the only thing. The offense has been bad. They're missing a lot of other guys. But I just think without him there, I think there's whatever it is, something's getting sucked out of that team without Bosa there. I really believe that. Yeah, when he went down, that was kind of the, I think, fatal blow to the season because it's not just Nick Bosa with what he does when he's the focal point. It's the extra attention that he requires, the timing that he disrupts with getting in the backfield. And we, we have to understand that Nick Bosa is not just the best player on the 49ers defense. Arguably, you, could, you could argue Fred Warner, but to me, Nick Bosa is the best player on the 49ers defense. He's also one of the best players in the league. And when you lose a guy like that, and when it comes at a time that you've lost several other people as well, uh, some to injury, other people like DeForest Buckner as, as when he was traded, the less of those guys that you have active, the more of an effect that you see that we've been seeing with defense, right? Where they obviously are not playing at the same level they were last year, but they look like a completely different team. Um, and I'll get to Brian Allen in a second, but the defensive line really – at this point, you're looking for them to develop as much as they can. Kerry Hyder has been a really good story. Um, he has three and a half sacks this year. He's been by far the best defensive lineman. Uh, when you look at uh, Javon Kinlaw and what he's done, he's been a nice surprise. Obviously, last game was kind of like a throwaway for everybody, but up until now, he was he was a, a pretty um, he was on a pretty good development arc. Although you know he's himself is kind of humble about. It. He's like, oh, I'm not I'm not anything which I love. Um, but you really have to look at guys, and he doesn't like being called out, but you have to look at guys like Eric Armstead. Like, where is he? He got all his money in the offseason. He got that big extension, and he's been playing pretty well. He's been playing, like, serviceable football, like pretty decent football, but he hasn't been a game changer like he was last year. You remember that Pittsburgh game where the Niners needed the ball back at the end of the game, and he single-handedly, like, he basically won them that game by stripping the ball. So you haven't seen that Eric Armstead yet. And maybe it's because Bosa and Buckner aren't there, and he's basically by himself now on the line, D4 being out too. But there are some really encouraging things I see with that front and some really troubling things, and Armstead's definitely one of those guys. And you mentioned the Brian Allen thing. And look, we're not going to – I'm not going to get on Brian Allen at all. At all. Like, not – you know, like, like Matt Mayoko said, it's, it's not – don't get on him. Get on people put him in that position, number one. And Akilah Witherspoon – Dude, if you're, whether it's on the coaching or on him, if you can suit up and you could play two and a half quarters or whatever he did, you, you should be able to start that game. Come on. Come on with that, whoever that was on. But we talk, we've been talking about when all the injuries happen. We're going to see what Robert Sala is this year. And I'm not going to make a determination after one game. I know a lot of people are kind of saying this guy was a joke. Anybody can be good with that front. He wasn't good before 2019. You know, give me both to Ford Buckner and Armstead and I can have good defense too. I'll, you know, all that stuff. I get it. I'm not going to destroy. I don't think he did a good job in this game at all. I think there's been a few things this year where I'm kind of like, ah, uh, but I also thought they played scrappy and, and pretty well against Philly. So I'm going to wait and see what, what we have here. But like we said, we're going to find out about Jimmy Garoppolo. We're going to find out about Robert Sala this year. We're going to find out if he's a guy who can just get it done when he's got the horses. And I know you need the horses, but the Niners had an all time defensive line. I know, let's be honest. Their defense was ridiculous last year. That defensive line was ridiculous. You got Warner and Sherman. That's uh, 
you could probably plug in really any defensive coordinator in there and they would have had a solid season. So let's find out about Robert Sala this year. Let's see what kind of coordinator he is. Let's see if he's somebody that can be here long term. I don't want to hear about head coach because I don't know. I don't think that's going to happen unless he ends up pulling miracles the last 12 games. But let's see if he's somebody that, that is worth staying here for a long time. He's going he's gonna to earn his keep this year. We're going to find out. Yeah, I think that it's really telling when, when the things are when things aren't going your way, it's really telling with how guys develop because when all these injuries happen, I mentioned earlier this year on one of our other shows that these guys are actually going to have to coach and scheme and, and it'll help them going forward. So look, I'm not as, as harsh as I've been for this entire podcast and as, as bad as I feel about the loss, I don't think at all that either of these guys should be fired like Shanahan or Robert Sala. Like that's ridiculous. Oh God, no. Oh yeah. We're not no, even, no, no. even going to go yeah. there. Right. Like, cause people say like, people take the criticism like, Oh, well, I guess you want Chip Kelly or Jim Tom Sula. No, that's not the point. The point is, is that I recognize the talent. I see the talent. I see the potential. I want, to, I want them to reach that. There were times last year where Robert Sala was just like out of his mind good in terms of coaching. Like that first Rams game, he was unbelievable the way he coached that game. And I, it, there were times where he slipped. Like the first three and a half quarters of that Super Bowl he was out of his mind good. Like, I've never seen anybody stop Patrick Mahomes the way that the Niners did last year in the first three and a half quarters of the Super Bowl. And that credit goes to the, deep, the the players, but also Robert Sala for calling it the way that they did. But then you see these things creep up where he has lapses, right? With the, with the third and 15 play to Tyree Kill, Jimmy Ward said that they shouldn't have made that coverage. Uh, Brian Allen had no help when it was uh, third and goal from the 20 yard line and uh, the third touchdown that they scored. Brian Allen was in man coverage and he was in bump and run and he had no help over the top on the third and goal from the 20. At that point, it's like, what are you thinking? You have to have the guy basically like you want, you want to prevent anything but a touchdown here. And not only did you not prevent the touchdown, but you also didn't give him help over the top. Like I just don't, he makes, they make mistakes that I would expect people that are smart as them to not make. And that's what frustrates me about them. It's like, you know, Al, when you have your kids and they do something that's that you don't agree with because you know they're smarter and better than that, but then they do something dumb. You're like, come on, man. It's frustrating, not because of what they did, because they should know better. That's kind of what I feel about Robert Sala and, and, and Kyle Shanahan. Like, they just do things that um, they should know better than that, and they've shown better than that, and that's what I hope for them to do. And it doesn't mean that you have to have talent all around you. All it means is that, hey, we're taking baby steps to improve our coaching and show that, like, look, we can manage a game we can manage these situations. And when the talent gets back, you'll see what our full arsenal is. Like you have to be able, Dante Whitner lit up Robert Sala. I don't know if you saw that. I did see that. Yeah. Dante Whitner lit him up after the game. And I, and I agree with that. You have to be able to make adjustments. You can't run your normal defense with this group of players. And the, the decision to activate Brian Allen, like that's not, again, that's not on him. It's not his fault. He was a practice squad guy that had not played since 2018. Right. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Something like, yeah. This is the last game when you had Tarverius Moore, who's played corner, Jimmy Ward, who came into the league as a corner yep. and they were interchangeable at corner and safety. You had backup plans there, but you didn't choose to use it. Mind boggling, so, mind boggling that they didn't, they didn't use somebody like more in that situation. Mind boggling to me. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, I, I just don't understand it. Yeah. So, I mean, I hope, I hope he gets better. I think he will. What you saw was basically like, a, I think a very harsh wake up call. The game will be more competitive. I hope it'll be more competitive this Sunday night against the Rams, but I, I, I don't know where you go from last week. Yeah, let's get into that because I can't. I don't want to talk about this anymore. It's yeah. depressing me. 
but it's just going to be depressing, I guess, talking about the Rams because I, I think they're going to get throttled. Um, yeah. I just can't see. I don't think Jimmy's help. Well, do, we, do you want to give out a game ball for the pass? I don't want to give anybody a game ball. No, nobody really. deserves a game ball. Okay. Most give me a, 90 yards. I mean, but yeah, no. I'll give Mostert a game ball. Sure. Let's give it to Mostert. Okay. Let's give it to Mostert. And you know what? I want to give, I want to give George Kittle a game ball for actually coming out and saying, I don't know if you saw this today. Is We're recording on a Tuesday. He came out and basically said, on whatever he was being interviewed, is that everybody's got injuries. We need to pick it up. Yeah. Kind of the first. Kyle Shanahan really hasn't said that, has he? You know, no. like, like I, I just thought there, there was some accountability from Kittle and Matt Barrows mentioned him maybe becoming the, the team leader that Staley was. I think he can be that guy. It was good to see that because, yeah, there are the injuries, but even with the injuries, this team should be four and one. You know, Miami kicked their butts. I'm not going to say that they should have won that game because it was it wasn't competitive, but they should be four and one even with the injuries and they're not. They're four and one because of what they did themselves, beating themselves, not playing well, not coaching well, all that stuff. So needs to be some accountability. So yeah, most of it will get a game ball and we'll give kid a one and that's it. Yep. But moving forward, yeah, this Rams game thing, I just, I can't see a way the Niners, I mean, Aaron Donald's have a field day, a field yeah. day, the way the interior, <laughs> unless, they, unless they get it together, field day. If Jimmy is still banged up or, or even plays remotely what he did last week, I, I can't see them because the Rams are, the Rams are playing good football this year. They really are. The Rams can run the ball. Goff is doing what his coach is asking him to do. You know, they have the weapons on offense and the defense is playing well. Can you, I mean, I, trying to find a way now, I'm trying to find a way for the Niners to get six and 10 this year, the way it looks with their schedule. I, I don't even know, man. So I, I can't pick them this week. I don't think it's going to be pretty. And if they do fall to two and four, and it is as ugly as I think it's going to be, uh, this season's at a crossroads, man, if it isn't already, because the schedule's not getting any easier. Yeah. I, when the schedule first came out, the first thing I said was like, man, the second half is like stupidly difficult. And this is before COVID and before we knew that, I mean, we were in the, in the lockdown, but this is before we knew that no fans would be there and the home field would basically be like nothing. But I looked at this and I was like, man, like that is a really tough middle part of the schedule. And if they go 500 in that, with the expectations that I had, I thought that was good. Remember, we were talking about the, our, our season preview show. Remember, we predicted 13 and three. Well, I yeah, guess it seems like forever ago. <laughs> For my prediction to come true, they have to basically win every single game now. They have to go 11 and 0. Um, but let me know that's not going to happen. But really, the Rams are, they were one year removed from the Super Bowl. They had a Super Bowl hangover last year. And uh, they look like the Rams of, the Super Bowl year. They are playing much better. Jared Goff is playing much better. They've gotten over the loss of Todd Gurley. Their defense is playing much better. Aaron Donald is just unbelievable. Jalen Ramsey is settled in as well at corner. Um, but the biggest thing is, is that the 49ers, even with the healthy team, I, I said, I thought I would have thought this would be a, a huge test. But when you just don't have the horses to run, there's not much you can do. Sherman won't be back for at least another few weeks. He had a setback. He's not even practicing yet. And there's a possibility, Greg Papa was talking on the radio, there's a possibility, an outside chance that you may have seen Sherman play his last game in the 49ers uniform. I don't want to say that, but my, Greg Papa's words, not my words, but you are so banged up right now that you're literally trying to hang on by a thread. And that thread is your quarterback trying to be a difference maker. When he's hurt himself, it's really hard for me to see them win. Like, I, I don't, I don't think this is going to be close. 
And I think that Jimmy may be pulled again and that you'll probably see Beathard by the end of it because he's just not healthy. Right now, Shanahan knows. I think secretly, Al, what, what they knew was that last week was a game they had to have because of what's coming up. And Jimmy kind of, they, they forced him into action. I don't say forced, but, but really like they wanted to see if he could go. To try oh, I, to think they forced him. I think they forced him into action. He didn't even finish, he didn't finish the practices. This week, yeah, okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah, they absolutely forced him into action. Absolutely. So, so there you go. They forced him into action last week. Are they going to force him into action this week? Because they said that, yeah, he's he's a little bit less sore and things like that. Like uh, as as the week has been going on, but at the same time, you know, you have to think about his long term future. You have to be like, all right, well, how much are we damaging him to win a game against the Rams when we have an already losing record? Why don't you throw Mullins out there, or Bethard out there, or any of these other guys out there that can develop? I mean, those are the only two guys, but. Really, if Jimmy plays his, his butt off, then they'll have a chance. If he's anything close to what we've seen the first eight quarters of play, minus two quarters he played in New York, I mean, they don't, they're, they're done. They're cooked. Man, I need a drink. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable what's happened in just two weeks. It's crazy. Like, it's like when we first started the show, Al. <laughs> it feels like it does, right? It's like you come like full circle. Back to just 2017, 2000. This this year feels a lot like 2018 is what it feels like. Yeah. Just the way things are going, it just it just feels that way. I don't know. Uh, and I don't and know. I, one thing I want to make very clear is that when we talk about the coaching staff and the limitations and things like that, we want to make sure that we do keep things in perspective because I do believe that Kyle Shanahan is a good is a good coach. Oh, he's so do I. Absolutely, absolutely. He's a fantastic offensive mind. He gets his players to play. He is a guy like because of the name Shanahan that I am personally fond of because of his dad. There are concerns that I have about him and his coaching ability. And one of those concerns is, do you need like last year was a sunny day scenario where you had minimal injuries and you had most of your team together. You got a difference maker like Emmanuel Sanders at the deadline. And a lot of things fell your way for you to be able to go where you did. You don't have that this year this is a true test to me of coaching ability because like when things are going great, that's awesome. You can maintain the status quo. You're doing great. You're taking advantage of all the gifts that you've been given in terms of uh, play and health and all these things. But when the chips are down, how much can you get out of what you have? And all we know about Kyle Shanahan and his record is that, and, it, and I'm keeping this in context because he had a terrible roster in year one, but he had two really bad years and he had a Jimmy injury in year two. But the fact of the matter is he had two really bad years and he started off. He started off with a third, not so bad, like not so terrible year, but 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 a third, like troubling year. And the only year he's really done well is that is last year. So he's basically the onus is on him to prove last year not being a fluke. Like was that a fluke, or is this something that we can expect from you going forward? And only time will tell. Well, he's got like a fifteen-year contract, so he'll have plenty of time. Plenty yeah, of time to see. So. Yeah, I mean, he'll, he'll be here for a while. He should be. He's like, gonna be here for a while. He should not be fired. Like, dude, people are like, oh, I want to fire Shane. Get, get out of here with that. He's not going to get fired. I don't want him fired, okay? I want him to get better. I want him here. I want him hoisting a trophy. All right, Zane, before we take off, you want to give a uh, score prediction? Oh, man. Do we have to? <laughs> okay, so I'm going to say the Rams are going to win this one. Uh, it'll be like 34 to 20. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking the same thing. 30-something to 20-something. Yeah. Mid-30s to low-20s is kind of the way it feels. Yeah. So, all right. Well, hopefully we haven't depressed everybody too much. 
<laughs> next week, next week, we'll. How about this? Next week, regardless of what happens, we'll 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 try to be in a better mood. We will try. try. I can't For promise sure. anything. I'll start drinking before the show next time, <laughs> which could go either way. So, all right. Anyway, thanks to Matt Barrows. Um, for Zane, this is Al. Thanks, everybody. Oh, Al, wait a second. Um, before you sign off, yeah, I know you just did sign up. Hey, congratulations to the Lakers. Oh, you must have loved that, right, LeBron? Oh my God, it's funny because now we're back. We're back into the show, and you have to re-sign off. But I mean, like, I had to. Like, I'm not going to talk to you until next week on the show. Yeah, text and stuff. But I mean, now you start with this whole LeBron debate about like, oh, is he the greatest of all time? Is he the greatest? I mean, do you have time for a rant? Do we have time for a rant? We have time for a rant, right? Whatever you want to do. If people don't want to listen, they just turn the show off. I guess. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so LeBron, I mean, he he talks about giving my damn respect after the game. Who does that? Like, are you kidding me? He, he, he compares himself to Jordan and people compare him to like Kobe and all the, nobody says that Kobe didn't say that Jordan didn't say that Wilt didn't say that magic didn't say that bird didn't say that nobody says that Brady doesn't say that rice didn't say that nobody says that tiger Woods doesn't say that like, come on, man. Like Le- LeBron James just craves that attention. And you know what? The funny thing is it kills him that he will never have the same impact on the game. Like Michael Jordan did. It kills him that he will never be able to move the needle like that. No matter how many championships, no matter how much he stacks the deck, how many championships he, he gets through building super teams, it's not going to matter because people aren't going to respect him the same way. Because on the court, all he's done is stack the deck in his favor at, th- at three different spots. And you're not going to get the same respect as somebody like Kobe who did it in one spot. And yeah, he had superstars, but he, he stayed the course and he stayed there for 20 years and he built what he built over there. You're never going to get the same respect as somebody like that. And he doesn't realize that because he thinks it comes from championship. That's not the case. At least for me, it isn't. So you look at him and, and what he's done, the, the body of work, Nick Wright, these, these idiots in the media that are, that are his cronies are talking about, oh, he's the greatest of all time. Yo, let's have that conversation when he gets to six. And even when he gets to six, let's see how much he's moved the needle. Al, five million people watched game six on Sunday night. Five point something million. It was like 5.1 million watched game five. And this is a, a potential championship clinching game. Now that's down 13 million people on average from last year wow. when the Warriors played the, the Raptors. Literally, nobody cared that LeBron won. Besides Lakers fans, LeBron stands, and Heat fans, nobody cared. For context, Michael Jordan, and, and yes, we knew that this was his last, probably his last game, so that's why people tuned in. But game six of the 1998 finals. Before the internet, I mean, the internet was there before the social media age, before streaming and all this stuff, before it's easier to, than ever to watch a game. Michael Jordan and the Bulls playing the Utah Jazz saw 38 million viewers tune into that game. 38 million. That's still a record to this day. Yeah. So to me, I'm happy for Kobe. Like, I'm happy because that the story, like, I'm a Kobe guy. I love Kobe. I'm so happy for the Lakers. For that. I have no issue with the Lakers at all. I have no issue with them winning. My issue is, is, is with LeBron James, always has been. Off the court, fantastic guy, fantastic role model, awesome dude, like great philanthropist. I love LeBron off the court. On the court, can't stand him. Yeah, I think he's very rehearsed too. I mean, I think the things that he says and does are, are rehearsed. He comes across as rehearsed to me. As a Lakers fan, like, yeah, I was glad to see them won and definitely the Kobe thing. I was, I was glad that they won this year with Kobe, everything with that. But, um, you know, as a Lakers fan, I grew up loving Magic when I was a little, little kid. And then Shaq and Kobe, I, you know, I love those guys. They're probably my second and third favorite players of all time behind Magic, Shaq, and Kobe. Um, LeBron kind of felt like, I don't know, when A-Rod came to the Yankees maybe for me, 
I I'm not gonna ever warm up to LeBron as a Laker. Like I'm glad they won the championship. Probably more happy for Anthony Davis than I was for Le- LeBron. Hopefully Anthony Davis can be the linchpin for the Lakers for the next decade or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, it was just like I, you know, normally a Lakers championship, I'm really into it. This year I was like, ah, oh, cool. You know, <laughs> like I was like, all right, cool. So okay. that's kind of where I am with it. I, I maybe a lot of people just because it was weird with the bubble or just whatever. It was just kind of all strange. Yeah, I mean LeBron's a hired gun, basically, right? That's what he. Yeah, is. it's kind of what it feels like to me. Just yeah. you got you're gonna get three or four years out of him, and then you know, yeah, that's exactly what it feels like to me. He's a, he's not a really, he's not a Laker. He's a hired gun type thing. And yeah, that's what he does wherever he goes. He's a hired gun. I mean, when he went back to Cleveland, he was a hired gun. When he was in yeah. Miami, he was a hired gun. Came to the, the Lakers. Where's he gonna go next? Minnesota, Utah. Yeah, I don't understand. Like, make your own legacy. I mean, I know Shaq signed with the Lakers as a free agent, but it wasn't like. Shaq didn't go there to like create a super team. He just was a free agent and he went to the Lakers. Yeah. You know, that happens too. It's not, it wasn't now like where everything's calculated and, you, and you're bringing guys along with you and you're joining up with people and stuff like that. It just, he, he signed with the Lakers. He got there when Kobe was young and, you know, lightning in a bottle type thing. But I just, I yeah, it's, it's hard for me. It's hard for me to get into LeBron. It really is a hired gun feel. It's great. The Lakers won a championship, but it didn't feel like the other ones. I guess it's how uh, I put it. It's I pissed off. I pissed probably pissed off a lot of people tonight. <laughs> I pissed off people who are uh, hardcore 49ers homers, who are Kyle Shanahan supporters, who are Robert Sala supporters, who are Lakers supporters, who are LeBron. Man, I pissed off a lot of people. I'm gonna lose some followers over this, aren't I, Al? Oh, whatever. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna <laughs> do? Right? Well, yeah. we'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you what. Um, they'll probably let us know on the iTunes reviews or something if you did. So, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> if we get a couple one star ratings, we'll we'll blame it on you. Yeah, that's my fault. Hit him with the sign-off button. All right, man. We're really out of here now. We'll talk to you guys next week. Peace.